सहनावतु सहनौ भुनक्त सह वीर करवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावै ओ शाति 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 ओम मे द लॉर्ड प्रोटेक्ट अस बोथ द टीचर एंड द टॉट टुगेदर बाय रिवीलिंग नॉलेज May the Lord protect us both by giving us the results of knowledge. May we attain vigor together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. So, we are studying the Katha Upanishad. This is Swami Vivekananda's favorite Upanishad. The Katha Upanishad has two chapters, each of three sections. so we had completed the first chapter and then we had started the second chapter we had completed the first section the second chapter and um, before summer and now we are ab- about to start the second section of the second chapter of the katha upanishad briefly we know all know the story the little boy nachiketa goes to the house of death and uh, asks death about the mystery uh, you know what happens after death the the well known story the death grants him three boons and the point here is actually the third boon the third boon was the question the most important question the mystery of death what happens to us um when we die is it a, is it just the complete end as a materialist would have it or do we exist after death as um, religions of the world tell us but that's actually not the essential question uh it becomes sh- later dachiketa sharpens his question he uh, being a part of a traditional uh, you know vedic culture he doesn't doubt that people exist after death and the whole the the earlier portion of the vedas which con- consists of rituals by which um, one can go to various heavens after death so that was a kind of given for people Uh, they didn't seriously doubt it at least those who believed in the vedic religion but what he's asking is much more important he knows that is not the end of the matter uh, because even if we uh, if we still do exist after death it doesn't solve anything uh, it it just means that we'll be born again in better or worse circumstances and the whole thing is propelled by our past karma so this was a common idea all throughout indian civilization from the very ancient times which we see in the vedic times where uh, this upanishad comes from down to you know the um, ancient buddhists jains uh, medieval times down to say even a sort of medieval religion like sikhism which comes from india they also believe in the same thing that there are multiple lives and we go through life after life so um what is the is there some ultimate reality behind all this um, what is the point of it all what's our real nature is it the just the body or which dies at at the death of the body or is it the the subtle body which goes from lifetime to lifetime and which is subject to continuous change thoughts feelings emotions pleasure pain all this keeps coming in our minds that's a subtle body uh, so is it just this or is there some reality behind all of this or is it just a mass of change and uh, yama says that there is something most worthwhile to know Um, so he reveals the mystery of the atman uh, at the end of this first chapter towards the end of the first chapter um, the second chap- chapter continues this theme uh, that that we are actually not the body not the mind we are pure existence a pure consciousness and if we were to realize ourselves as this pure existence of pure consciousness uh, we would actually solve all the, the major problems of life we would see that we are beyond death we are beyond suffering and that that's called enlightenment and that's called freedom from the cycle of birth and death and that would bring to an end the series of limited existences so this is the teaching the core idea of of vedanta uh, in fact the most of the first chapter was spent first of all in the story of yama and nachiketa then it was spent in the uh, you know yama tests nachiketa whether he is fit for this uh, knowledge and that's a long portion 
And then there are other things like talks about the preliminary practices. There is the uh, imagery of the chariot, which is developed at some length. Uh, you know, the body and mind are compared to a chariot uh, going on a spiritual journey and so on. It's in the second chapter that we come to core Vedanta, really. Uh, so, for example, in the, in the section which we just completed, second chapter, first section, which we completed before summer. So, Yama talks about, he says that, we are continuously flowing outwards into this world. And that's why we do not realize ourselves as the Atman. You know, the first mantra of the second um, chapter, in the first section, Paran Chikhani Vetrinat Swayambhu Tasmat Param Pashyati Nantaratman. What it means is our senses and our minds are turned outwards into this world. We are engrossed in what we see and hear and smell and taste and touch. We are engrossed with things in the world outside. We are engrossed with people, with our events in the world outside. And that's how we spend our lives. And we do not see our inner self. And the, the Atman, which uh, Yama is teaching here, says it's, it's not evident to us at all. And uh, then he goes on to say that those who, the next mantra, in fact, the second mantra, um, what's the harm if we remain engrossed in the external world, like most people are remaining in this world? So what is the harm? The harm is that... Uh, uh, such people fall in the extended snares of death. He says, um, the death has set out an extended net, a network of death. So they are born and they die and they are born again. And this lifetime, this cycle of you know, birth and death, basically a cycle of limitation and suffering, it is repeated again and again and again without limit until we learn the lesson, uh, until we learn to uh, look inside and realize who we truly are. And then what will we realize if we look inside? So then there are a number of very powerful mantras which we studied last time. So he says, this consciousness, what is this consciousness? In the third mantra, he, is, he has said, second chapter, first section, third mantra. Yena rupam rasam gandham shabdan sparshan stamaitunan ete neva vijanati. He says, This is this very consciousness by which you see all forms, colors, and shapes which you are seeing, the experience of seeing, the experience of tasting, the experience of smelling, rupam rasam gandham, touch. Not just that, all the other experiences of, of thinking, of remembering. Uh, all of these things, uh, they are all coming because of this one consciousness. So it is one consciousness shining and we get all the experiences which, think of, we, we, which we think of as our life. What, what is happening to you throughout the day? Throughout the day, you have certain perceptions of the world outside. You see, hear, smell, taste, touch. And internally, you think, you remember, you desire, you enjoy, you suffer. Uh, and you wake you dream, you sleep, all of this is this one consciousness. It, it go, runs through all of them and illumines all of this and this gives you these experiences. So this is the Atman. This consciousness is the Atman, this pure consciousness, which is there and it, it, it's basically, it enables our entire life. Notice, it is not the body. It is not the senses. It is not even the mind, thoughts, feelings, emotions. And yet it is not something separate apart from all of this. It is that which enables all of these activities to happen. It, it makes our life possible and yet it transcends body, mind, senses. So this is the Atman. Then the fourth mantra, Swapnantam Jagaritantam Jobhau Yenanupashyati. The Avastatraya Vichara introduces waking, dreaming, deep sleep. These are all made possible. These are all illumined by one consciousness. And that consciousness you are. It's not limited to the waking world. It's not limited to dream. It's not limited to deep sleep. It makes all of them possible and yet is free. It transcends all of these. So this imminent, transcendent self, what's it made of? It is being. 
It is consciousness, Sat Chit. So this is what we are. And this was explained in detail in the uh, first section. And notice, each of these mantras, you see how they have been developed in other Upanishads. Just this mantra which says, by which you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, that consciousness is the Atman. But that is the whole theme of the Kena Upanishad, we'll see later on. Then the next mantra, by which our waking, dreaming, deep sleep uh, are all illumined, by which we get, get the experience of the three states of waking, dreaming, deep sleep. But we know that's the whole theme of the entire Mandukya Upanishad and Mandukya Karika. So just uh, each of these mantras in a seed form, it gives us so much this vast um, you know, uh, wisdom about the self, about the ultimate reality, which has developed in more detail in other Upanishads. Now we come to the second, uh, the second section. These sections are called Valli, second section. So, chapter is called Adhyaya and section is called Valli. So, second Adhyaya and second section. In the introduction of the second section, Adi Shankaracharya, in his commentary, he says, Prakarantarena Brahmatattva Nidharanartho Ayam Marambho Brahmana. What are we going to do in this section? He says, we're going to learn about Brahman. And he said, but our reaction would be, that's what we have been doing all along anyway. Are you going to repeat everything? He says, prakarantarena, in a different way. We will approach the same thing, same truth in a different way. Why? Why do you want to do that? Because it's very subtle, very difficult to realize. So that's what all the Upanishads do. All the Upanishads do just one thing. They are teaching us one truth. Who you are. Our, re our real nature. But they are doing it in a hundred different ways. So that somehow, somewhere, something will click. And then we, if, it, if one of them clicks, is, if, it, if you get it in, in any one of these uh, ways, in any one of these explanations, everything will click. You will understand every other Upanishad also. Um, so here he's saying in another way, because the teaching is so subtle, because it's so difficult to realize, uh, the same teaching about Brahman is now going to be given in another way. Right. Now, second chapter, second section, first mantra. Puramika dashadwaram ajasya vakrachetasa anushthayana shochati so, let me read the English translation from Swami Gambhirananda's book. The unborn one, which consciousness is unflickering, there is a city with 11 gates in which this unborn one the, of the unflickering consciousness resides in this city with 11 gates. Meditating on him, one does not grieve, and becoming freed, one becomes emancipated. This indeed is that. This phrase is repeated again and again by Yama. Remember who's teaching here? Yama, the Lord of Death. And who's listening? Uh, the little boy, Nashiket. And of course, we are all listening through that. And Yama repeats this phrase again and again. Etadvaita. This is indeed that. This is indeed that. That what? What you had asked about. Your question. The third question that uh, um, uh, what is the nature of the self? What is this mystery of death? So here we are, we are being told uh, again, the, our attention is drawn to ourselves and the body mind, the body especially is now described as a city, a city with uh, 11 gates. You know, the body has been described already as a chariot earlier. So it's not a chariot, it's not a city. But this is just a way, a paradigm, a, a model, so that we can, it helps us to investigate ourselves, to look into ourselves. Now think of the body as a city with 11 gates. And uh, in this city resides uh, you, the Atman. And it is said, the unborn one, Ajaha. And the one of unflickering consciousness. An anushthaya to meditate upon that, and the result will be you'll go beyond sorrow, nashochati, and you will get liberation. And, and, uh, 
liberation again of two kinds uh, vimukta vimuchyate so we'll explain all that what does it mean first of all what do you mean uh, a city with uh, 11 gates um so the body has uh, these entrances these openings apertures so in the in the uh, head the face itself you have the ears and uh, uh, the nostrils uh, and uh, the uh, eyes and the uh, and the mouth so that's 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 and then there are um, below the openings of the organs of uh, evacuation and reproduction so that's 8 and 9 and then there is the uh, navel which is we don't think of it as a gate but when the baby before the baby is born that was actually where you know our food supply came from uh, there, so there was this uh, tube which connected us to the uh, to the mother and the mother uh, mother's body provided us with nourishment so there was a gate which was open but after birth it is permanently sealed so but it's still a gate it, it's counted and then there is a mystical gate it's called brahmarandra it's supposed to be here uh, at the top of the head in the crown of the head and it's supposed to function just once for highly spiritual people at the time of death the jivatma that means the consciousness with the subtle body when the physical body dies the jivatma it proceeds um upwards and leaves this physical body through that so that was that's the basic it's a, it's a yogic idea through the brahmarandra and not for everybody it's only for spiritually advanced people who have practiced meditation who are already um, established in meditation not for the enlightened remember one thing it's not for the enlightened the enlightened ones do not go anywhere they don't go anywhere they don't come anywhere they, they they are already one with brahman they are brahman they are the reality of this universe they don't go anywhere from this body going and coming is a sign of lack of enlightenment so everybody else who do not we do not know who we are so we are we remain identified with this body and as a subtle body when the physical body dies we are forced to shed our identification with this body we are forced to let go of it we don't want to we clutch hold of it we are scared terrified but we are we have to let go of it um, and then then what then where are we what are we then we are uh, consciousness plus mind a subtle body so the mind the intellect the memory all the impressions of our past lives plus the prana all together so that sort of goes up into a seed form and it leaves this body so that's what's called the transmigration moving from one lifetime to another from one physical body to another physical body that's what's, what might be called the soul the jivatma um but and the jivatma in special cases for a highly evolved spiritual soul will is supposed to proceed through this uh, uh, you know the, the central spinal cord the sushumna nadi and go to the brahmarandra there and then exit the body from this at the time of the death of the body and go to higher worlds you know go to dwell with god in heaven and so on and so forth but for the enlightened person who has realized that i am brahman you have realized your true nature you are no longer you're not even at all identified with this physical body or with the subtle body anyway um, it's a, it's an appearance to you it's like a movie it's like a picture you are not it you are unlimited being existence your unlimited awareness already you always were you just realize yourself as that so there is no coming and going for you anyway so that's the um, different but anyway we are counting that as one of the gates a special gate of the city opened only on very auspicious special circumstances of a highly spiritual soul leaving this city so now you have 11 gates um seven in the uh, head region and uh, um two uh, below and then one in the navel so that's 10 and 11 here just by the way those who have read the bhagavad gita Uh, you, it may strike you that in the fifth chapter there is this uh, uh, the model of the body as a city with nine gates navadware um, uh, this this dehi says 
the, the dweller of the body in the city, Navadvare Pure Dehi Nakurvan Nakarayan. Fifth chapter, 13th shloka, Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says to Arjuna, there is a city with nine gates. And in that, you dwell as the indwelling self. So why nine gates? And So where is this accounting error of two gates? Are we missing two gates? So these two special gates are not counted. The two special gates are the navel, which is permanently sealed uh, when you're born, and uh, the gate at the top, the mystical gate, which does not open unless one is a highly spiritual soul transmigrating. Um, you know, I've told you the story earlier, but I can repeat it here. Uh, this was told to me by uh, Swami Suhitanandaji Maharaj, who is now the vice president of our order, and he served Swami Premeshanandaji for many, many years. Um, so from Swami Premeshanandaji was a disciple of the Holy Mother, Masharada, and regarded as an enlightened being in our order. So when he passed, and Swami Suhitanji said, uh, you know, I expected to see some kind of extraordinary happening. You know, he has a vision of maybe Sri Ramakrishna, or, or we hear of all the hairs of the body standing on the end, some kind of samadhi experience, something. But in reality, what happened was, this is uh, the old Swami who had been old and sick for a long time, for many, many years. So he had to be fed. And Swami Suhitananda, who was a young novice at that time, was feeding him with a spoon. And you had to sort of schedule him like you would do to a reluctant child. And you know, sometimes he wouldn't eat. You said, you would open your mouth, please eat. And that day in the morning, the doctor had come to examine him. And the doctor had said, everything is fine today. I mean, he's feeling good. And the doctor left the room and it was time to feed the old Swami. Um, uh, so Swami Suhitanji offered the, the food in a spoon and he ate one spoon. And the next, he was not opening his mouth. And the Swami was saying, please open your mouth. Please, uh, uh, please eat. No response. He's just sitting like a, like a doll, you know, like a picture. So Suhitanji got a little nervous and he ran out to call the doctor who had not even crossed the courtyard. So the doctor came back again and they found he's gone. He's gone. It's just like a clock which was ticking, you know, and then stops. That's it. So anyway, that was the end. Um, later, Swami Suhitanji said, I was puzzled by all of this. And uh, I went to ask a great Vedanta teacher who was in the ashram that was in Benares, the Kashi Seva Ashram in Benares, um, Vishwarupanandaji Maharaj, who, who has written, translated the Brahma Sutras and commentaries into Bengali. I have got the set right here, four volumes. Um, it's a massive work. He was a great scholar of Vedanta. So this Swami asked that Swami. So this is what happened when Premeshanji passed, and uh, I'm a little puzzled. Uh, and then that Swami became excited and he said, what, what are you saying? Is this what happened? And he said, I can show you. This is the sign of a Brahma Gyani. There's no transmigration, no movement, no coming and going. Uh, you know, he's already free long ago. He, he has realized he's one with Brahman. He is one with Brahman, always has been. There is nothing special from that person's perspective, the enlightened one's perspective at the drop of the body, at the going of the body. So this is the meaning of Vimuktascha Vimuchyate. Here the um, words have been used. If you see, if you literally see the translation, being liberated becomes liberated. Vimukta, having been liberated, vimuchyate becomes liberated. So what it means is, the person was already a jivan mukta. The moment he attained Brahmagyana, he is a jivan mukta. And at the drop of the body, he is... Uh, he attains what is called videha mukti, bodiless liberation. So liber liberation while living and bodiless liberation. Remember, the difference is made only by the body and it's of importance only to us. It's not of importance to the enlightened one. The enlightened one knows I am Brahman, regardless of whether the body is there or not. But from our perspective, it makes a big difference because that enlightened one is available to us in the body. And so we say he's enlightened while living. So it's a great source of teaching. These are the enlightened beings who teach us. And then what happens when the body dies? Um, the person is not born again. Unlike the rest of us, we go through other existences. The person remains as infinite Brahman. So not being born again, that is called videha mukti, uh, bodiless liberation. That is again from our perspective. 
from the enlightened person's perspective it doesn't not even is not even a person actually the enlightened one is not even a person the enlightened one is brahman all right now let us look at the mantra itself puram ekadasha dwaram in this city of 11 gates there is a king who is the king you the consciousness you dwell as a king in this city um ajaha says you are the unborn one why the unborn one the body is born and the body ages and the body is subject to disease and the body dies you the consciousness are not born with the birth of the body you do not age with the aging of the body you are not diseased with the disease of the body and you do not die with the dying of the body so this is called ajaha unborn the body goes through six modifications um uh, you know birth coming to existence then birth which is conception then birth and then um there is childhood that is growth and then there is maturation then there is deterioration or aging and then there is destruction or death six fold changes asti jayate vardhate viparinamate apakshyate nashyate the sanskrit terms for the six fold changes now consciousness does not undergo these changes so that's the preliminary meaning of the term ajaha unborn but there's a deeper meaning of the term and those who have we have done mandukya upanishad you know it's a whole very profound philosophy this consciousness is not an effect is not a cause not an effect means it's not produced by something else body is produced body is subject to six fold changes consciousness is not subject to six fold changes it's just the witness of all of them even the mind thoughts are produced and thoughts float around for a little while and thoughts subside feelings emotions ideas memories they all come float around perceptions they all come float around and disappear they are produced they exist for a while and then they subside back again consciousness is constant body is a series of physical changes mind is a series of mental changes consciousness is constant is not one of those changes and consciousness is not is neither a product but is not a cause also it's not a producer of anything just like a screen on a movie screen um you, you have maybe you are seeing a documentary on uh, africa where lions are chasing deer or something like that and uh, um in the movie movie there are the lions and the deer and the hunting going on but all of it is made possible by the movie screen but it's not that that the movie screen is um, is any in any way involved in the story being shown there it's not a lion it's not a deer it it does not hunt that is neither hunted and yet it makes everything possible without it nothing would be possible exactly like that you are the one illuminating consciousness shining in and through every occurrence of your life and yet you're not touched by any of it and you are neither the effect nor the things which are changing and being affected in this world nor are you the cause of it so the this turiya this consciousness is not god god is the cause of this universe god is the cause of this universe god is cause and universe is effect that's why god in all the theistic religions god is called creator is cause producer creator the, the source of all things and this is something deeper than that underlying that um, it appears as god and the products of god it appears as cause and effect atman consciousness being it appears as cause and effect but in itself it's neither cause nor effect that's the meaning of ajaha the unborn one what's its nature if you ask what is the body we know what it it's made of it's made of uh, tissues and organic uh, matter if you ask about mind what is it made of it's made of thoughts feelings emotions but what are they made of they are made of subtle matter sukshma tanmatras we know in we studied in vedanta sara but you this this atman what is it made of which is neither a cause nor an effect what's it made of what is it actually avakra chetasa chetasa is consciousness chetasa means consciousness cheta consciousness avakra vakra means crooked twisting and turning avakra straight 
what do you mean straight can consciousness be straight or crooked in turning see what happens is it is one consciousness shining and then it shines upon the mind the mind has so many kinds of thoughts ideas memories desires and all of them are illumined by this one consciousness so it's as if one consciousness bursts into thousands of shimmering little consciousnesses i i saw this just yesterday or day before i was walking in the park and uh, i saw sunlight falling on the lake and there were these ducks swimming there and on the waves it's sparkling the water was sparkling with the sunlight so it's one straight sunlight but it bursts into thousands of sparkling little wavelets in in, in the lake and similarly it's one consciousness which you are when it comes when it shines upon the mind it's as if thousands of thoughts emotions ideas all seem conscious because they borrow consciousness from you that borrowed consciousness is called chidabhas reflected consciousness so this is the first time that straight uh, one consciousness now appears to be in manifold some of those thoughts are nice some are just humdrum some are miserable some are anxious some are full of fear some are full of desire and hankering some are full of anger some are peaceful and spiritual some are creative some are memories and nostalgia uh, some are uh, and so in so many ways the same consciousness now shines upon all these thoughts and further as it flows into the senses same consciousness one pure subject non objective light of consciousness now becomes seeing which is very different from thinking or feeling it becomes hearing hearing is very different from seeing and um, thinking and feeling so if you can see you know, right now if you open your eyes and you're watching this this is one kind of experience you sit with closed eyes and just listen it will be a different kind of experience and yet the one which give, gives you this experience of seeing the extraordinary experience of seeing color and shape and motion and if you close your eyes and just attend to the hearing the ex- more muted experience of various sounds and um, you know textures of sound both are that same consciousness it is avakra chetasa that means straight pure unchanging like a white light why i'm saying white light is not white light it's not light at all but it's like white light it is the it's a phrase used by aurobindo he says uh, this is a very awesome phrase he says the world drowned in the white glare of an immortal gaze look at the powerful poetry of it the world drowned in the white glare of an immortal gaze what is the immortal gaze consciousness avakra chetasa avakra unflickering ha uh, straight another meaning shankaracharya says unflickering uh, it is a it is a it's like a glare <laughs> if you look at somebody straight without blinking it's like it's called glaring uh, with big eyes if you look imagine a vast eye a cosmic eye which is shining upon the entire universe the universe is drowned in the white glare of an immortal gaze avakra chetasa this uh, Uh, unflickering light of consciousness with steady glare of consciousness what does it have to do with me that is you tattvamasi that's you right now yeah i don't see myself as an unflickering gaze and you are experiencing that unflickering gaze all the time that's why you can see and hear and smell and taste and touch that's why you can think and listen to all this that's why you can think Um, and understand all this that's why you can enjoy and suffer also all of it is possible because of this this unflickering glare of consciousness which you are it's not that you have this kind of unflickering consciousness you are this unflickering consciousness it seems to flicker because of the movement of the mind it seems to flicker because of our eyes and ears and nose and skin you know the various modalities of sensation it seems to be differing but it's all one i was thinking moonlight now if one does not did not know how it works if somebody is told that moonlight is nothing but sunlight so we would think that so sunlight is you know it increases and decreases we clearly see it sometimes there is more of it sometimes there is less of it no 
it is the moon which goes through phases so you have more moonlight less moonlight that's correct but the sunlight which it which is it's, it is originally is avakra chetasa is unflickering light not increasing not decreasing and it's an example an example for consciousness good what do i do then anushthaya uh, anushthaya means practicing but shankaracharya gives the meaning meditating upon it meditating upon this teaching and he gives further instruction there he says in his commentary he says um mm, dhyatva anushthaya dhyatva dhyanam hi tasya anushthanam samyak vigyanapurvakam so samyak vigyanapurvakam first of all collect clear teaching clear understanding clarity clarity about what is being said here we are not talking about the world we are not talking about the body we are not talking about the sensory system we are not talking about the mind we are not even talking about waking dreaming deep sleep we are using all of this world body senses mind waking dreaming sleeping all of these to point to that one consciousness and note it you don't have to become it you don't have to sit there so don't take it literally don't sit there glaring at everybody what are you doing i'm meditating the swami told me to glare without blinking no uh, you are that one unflickering consciousness know that and um, and dwell on that uh, stay with that that i am that and do it to me that unflickering consciousness that straight consciousness Uh, appears mind and then i burst upon the mind or i shine through the mind and appear to be various various thoughts and various emotions various uh, happy and miserable and hopeless and hopeful and so many things anxious and brave all of that with one unflickering consciousness now mind becomes scattered and then further you know the modalities of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting so that is meditation that is the knowledge first of all samyak vigyanam means this is the knowledge is clarity listen to the upanishadic teachings listen to katha upanishad kena upanishad mandukya listen to the bhagavad gita listen think about it get clarity then he says meditate upon it and uh, shankaracharya adds here tam sarveshana vinirmukta san samam sarvabhutastam dhyatva na shochati sarvaheshana vinirmukta means literally it would it would mean what it implies is becoming a monk <laughs> that's the very definition of the shankaracharya never misses an opportunity to tell you you should become a monk sarvaheshana vinirmukta eshana means uh, there's a deep technical meaning for that uh, this desire for this world and desire for the next world uh, all kinds of worldly this worldly and other worldly desires giving all it all up why why would you do that to become enlightened to become to realize who i am giving up all desires so that's the internal monasticism that everybody all of us have to do and uh, external monasticism would mean actually taking the vows so the vows in monasticism basically consist in giving up these these are called eshana desires powerful instigators which propel us into samsara step back from them so ami vivekananda's powerful words thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on let go the uh, let go thy hold sanyasi bold say om tat sat om so thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on what what are you holding on to what is this holding on to the rope the three ashanas i'm not going to go to the details of that being free of their desires internally all of us externally if you are going to be formally a monk samam sarvabhutastam i'm reading from shankaracharya's commentary now i'm not reading from the original mantra samam sarvabhutastam dhyatva see this one consciousness equally present everywhere in every entity just like the screen is equally present in every entity in the movie whoever is there in the movie the hero the villain the sky the earth the dog the the grass the water all of it behind all of it is one movie screen the same screen similarly behind all of this in and through all our experiences in all beings this one 
unborn consciousness, beyond cause and effect, unchanging, unflickering consciousness is present. You are present in all beings. Knowing this, what happens? Meditating thus, what happens? Nashochati does not grieve, goes beyond sorrow. This is the promise of Vedanta. Why do all this? You do all this to go beyond sorrow. Why go beyond sorrow? Well, that's what you want to do in life. All that we have been doing in life and lifetime after lifetime is an effort to transcend sorrow, to attain fulfillment. That's what we are trying to do. And that's what you will attain, attain when you realize yourself as this one limitless consciousness, which we are already. Nashojati does not grieve at death, at disease, at... Um, so one's own. Even others, so deep inside we will know that even when others are dead or they're suffering, in reality it's one consciousness. So it is at that level, it's all right. Of course, at the surface level, at the level of samsara, body, mind, we will try to help everybody. We must. Um, but inside we know the truth that ultimately it's the whole universe is one with God and it does not perish at that level, at the deepest, most fundamental level. At the level of the body, there's no doubt there is aging and there is disease and there is death. At the level of the mind, there is sorrow, there is coming and going. But once you realize who you are, at least at the level of the mind, a lot of the pain, the sorrow is assuaged. It, it, it goes away. That's what is meant by going beyond sorrow, going beyond suffering. At the deepest level, at the most existential level. It's not, every other solution is a band-aid. It works at some physical level, at some emotional level, but it is no solution at all. The problem still festers, the wounds still remain deep. And the real healing comes with uh, enlightenment, uh, with, uh, no, with knowing that you are forever one with, if in devotional language, forever one with God. Uh, or in philosophical language, you are Brahman, you are the infinite. So, no, Nashojati does not sorrow, does not grieve, goes beyond sorrow. Remember, practically both are possible. That one might, at, the, at a surface level, appear to be affected. But if you probe, if you, an ordinary person will say, I'm really suffering. The enlightened person will say, well, actually not really. I'm not really suffering. Although, uh, Sri Ramakrishna, for example, he demonstrates that so well. His beloved nephew, Akshay, dies in front of him. A young boy of some disease is dying. And when he's dying... Um, Sri Ramakrishna is just standing there in a kind of ecstatic mood and smiling. And people will be thought, how cruel. And Sri Ramakrishna said, why should I weep? I know that he's not dead. I can see it clearly. The body lies. This is like a sword being unsheathed from its scabbard. I clearly saw the Jivatma, the individual being, sentient being, leaving the body. I don't know if he left through the 11th gate, but anyway, leaving the body like a sword being unsheathed from the scabbard. So he's there. It's a body which is gone. So he says, I was smiling. And yet, you know, because he is avatar, he shows both the human side and the divine side. That's why he's a bridge between humanity and divinity. Afterwards, he weeps bitterly because he says, I know that he's the Atman is not dead. But also it's equally true. I will never see that one again in that form, that most beloved form. You know, that child, that beloved father, mother, that beloved person whom we loved and is dead now, I know even if the soul is immortal, that one will never come back. That's gone forever. So that's true. And at the level of samsara, it is all change and all transience. And so he says, I weep for that. He says, it's like I felt so much sorrow in my heart. He says, like a, like a, a towel being wrung. You know, in India, they have something called gamcha. It's a thin towel. So people use it after bathing to wipe their bodies. And then you wring out the water. And so like wringing it out. So it's as if somebody was wringing out my heart. There's so much pain in my heart when I thought about this beloved person whom I'll never see again. So both are there. At the deepest level, I'm absolutely clear that the, this Brahman alone is real and the world is an appearance and it's all right. At the samsara level, yes, change is there. Nashojati. Then what happens? Vimuktascha vimuchyate. Being um, Vimukta, Jivan Mukta. So Jivan Mukta means freed while living. 
after realizing this, you are called Jivan Mukta, that is freed while living. In this body itself, in this life itself, you're still there. You're still living, talking with people around you, yet you're liberated. You're not bound body-mind like everybody else. Everybody else thinks, I am body-mind. I am this one and nothing else. But here you know, you are all. Um, you are this limitless consciousness. So this is called Jivan Mukta. And um, I'm not, I won't go into the details of that for some other time. Then he adds, Vimuchyate. Being liberated is liberated. What is the second liberation? Is a liberation when the body dies. At one time, the body of the enlightened person also will die. And then what happens to the enlightened person? Where does he or she go? Does not go anywhere. So not even through the 11th gate. <laughs> so the enlightened person already knows that, that uh, he is one with Brahman, your infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. The individual, so what happens to the physical body? It goes back to the natural elements. What happens to the subtle body? mind and intellect and uh, the prana what happens to it for others it curls up into a seed form and moves from lifetime to lifetime from, from this body to another loka to another world from there to another birth it moves it travels but what happens to this subtle body of the enlightened one so that also goes back to nature so this is the big difference between the uh, enlightened one and the unenlightened for the unenlightened the physical body dies and goes back into nature is burnt or cremated or whatever, it, it melts back into nature. But the subtle body continues. Whereas for the enlightened one, the physical body and the subtle body, Stula Sharira, Sukshma Sharira, go back to uh, nature itself. This is a very beautiful mantra in the Mundaka Upanishad, which I hope we will do at some time. Gata, Kala, Pancha, Dasha, Pratishtha. The, the physical body and the subtle body with its um, constituents, they go back to their sources in nature. And you remain as pure consciousness. That is only for the enlightened one. So what a powerful, what a powerful, powerful mantra. And, and uh, Yama ends by saying, this is what you had asked for, this was your question. Here is the answer. Then the next mantra I just started, but I won't do it today. There's no time. We'll see the questions. Now, notice, in this mantra, what has he pointed out? The classic Advaitic move. First of all, who am I? I'm not the body, not the mind. I'm existence, consciousness, bliss, chidananda, rupa, shivoham. I'm of the nature of Shiva. I'm pure consciousness. The next step will be, this pure consciousness is one in all beings. It's not that every, in every body and every mind there is a separate pure consciousness. First of all, isolate the pure consciousness. See yourself as pure consciousness. And then realize this pure consciousness is the one reality of the entire universe. Not that there are separate, you know, like every body. In the body there are uh, organs. Uh, you have a heart, a liver, a kidney. You have a mind, memory. And these are all different in each body. They're all different. In that way, don't think that there is separate Atma or separate pure consciousness in each body. No. It is one consciousness in which all these bodies and minds and worlds are appearing. So the, the oneness of all existence will now be established in the next one. It's a powerful, a very poetic mantra. I'll read it, give you the translation, and then we'll stop. I will not explain it today. Second mantra. Hamsa shad vasurantariksha sad Bhota Vedishad Atithir Duronasat Nrishad Varasad Ritasad Vyomasad Abja Goja Ritaja Adrija Ritam Brihat. What does this mean? You'll find it mystifying when I read it out. As the moving sun, he dwells in the heaven, as air, he pervades all and dwells in the interspace. As fire, he resides on the earth. As the soma, he stays in a jar. He lives among men. He lives among gods. He dwells in truth. He dwells in space. He is born in water. He is born in the earth. He is born in the sacrifice. He is born in the mountains. He is unchanging and he is great. <laughs> what was this said here? It's an ecstatic outpouring. In this, Brahman, the reality of the entire universe, 
uh, he is is pointed out using three examples the sun the air and the fire it's like a, in the cosmos around you the vedic sage finds the same reality who i am i find this everywhere so he says look there brahman is traveling so that's the sun in the sky no that's brahman traveling through the sky in the sky he exists as the sun and in the uh, space all around us he exists as this mighty atmosphere as the wind which blows everywhere that's wind no that's brahman <laughs> and the fire which burns imagine the ancient vedic people they had all these fire sacrifices the the um, the uh, homa so the fire which burns here on the earth that is brahman uh, and the same brahman look in the waters in the waters brahman is born as the fish and as the uh, the aquatic plants as the shrimp as uh, aquatic insects and there's the whales uh, and um, uh, the Bra- look at the uh, look at the, uh, the the sacrificial fire where brahman exists as all the ingredients of the sacrifice uh, the brahman is there uh, in the mountains uh, as the the plants and you know what rivers oh, as adrija means river actually the rivers which are uh, born from the mountains adrija adrija means born from the mountains but these are names also in in uh, indian names so many indian adrija would be the name of of a woman in uh, in hinduism so born from the mountains a river which flows down from the himalayas so like this and the same thing is in your heart as pure consciousness which we just discussed but the same thing is is within all the gods in the heavens also so it's an ecstatic way the you can see the sage of the upanishads pointing out to you this reality which you found yourself this unchanging unflickering white glare of the immortal gaze yes what about it it's there in the sky as the sun how can it be is there consciousness in the sun don't bother sun exists right it is there that isness itself is brahman it's like i'm showing you a piece of gold and then i take it away where did it go there it is in the necklace in that which that person is wearing there it is now in the bracelet in the which that person is wearing there it is now in the ring which that third person is wearing same gold but there it's called a necklace and it's on the neck of a person there it's called a bracelet it's on the on the wrist of a person there it's called a ring it's on the finger of a person and the names are different the forms are different um the how you use them where you wear them these ornaments are different from each other and yet it's the same gold which i showed you exactly like that is brahman is being pointed out throughout the cosmos i must share with you that i once had this experience in the himalayas this was a very beautiful place called harshil about 9000 feet high uh, in the himalayas once after having begged for my food i was walking in the mountains extraordinary beauty there I mean, it's one of the most beautiful places um, i have seen in the himalayas not that i've seen too much but this was very nice um, it's between three rivers flowing and it's like a triangle of land and surrounded by towering mountains glaciers running down and so the, the whole thing so where i was walking um there were in the distance i saw a shepherd with his flock of sheep uh, and towering mountains with the glaciers and rivers running down and there were plants all around and um, uh, and the sun in the sky and the wind you know it moves very um, sort of erratically in the valleys between the mount towering mountains suddenly i thought here is the sky uh, here here is the wind moving through these valleys there the smoke arises from the fire here are the animals born from the earth you know so he- here is brahman in the sky in the mountains i i actually recited this verse this mantra hamsa shushi sad vasu rantarikshasa i felt the enlightened one must have seen something like this and just burst out seeing whatever around here 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 it is clearly why do you not see it so philosophically what has been done is in the first mantra it was pointed out as your inner self you are that now in the next mantra it is being shown as brahman the reality of the entire universe not just you and it is the same thing atman is brahman tattvamasi aham brahmasmi that has been established when you put these two mantras together all right let's see the
but I'll explain it again next time, the second mantra. Which shloka are we on? So, yeah, that is second chapter, second section, first one. So these are mantras, right? The difference between shlokas and mantras is, shloka is a verse. Mantra is also a verse, but it is it especially refers to these sacred texts, verses which are found in the Vedas and the Upanishads. So they are called mantras. So they are sacred. Shlokas may or may not be. So in the Gita, we have 700 shlokas, but these will be called mantras because they are part of the Upanishad of the Vedas. So the question should be, which mantra are we on? So how do we explain Swamiji is leaving the body? Um, it's the same thing. He knows he is Brahman. Or you could explain it in another way. He knows he's Brahman, and yet he chooses to maintain his individuality as one of the Saptarshis. So he uh, holds on to that. Jayashri says, can a householder attain Jivan Mukti? Of course, certainly. In Vedanta, there is no such distinction. Many of the teachers, in fact, um, Yama, the teacher here, is a householder. And Nachiketa uh, is going to be a householder. He, so he attains enlightenment. He's, in a, he's a householder. And the rishis of the Upanishads, and most of them were householders. And Krishna and Arjuna and the Bhagavad Gita are householders. Alpana says, why is an enlightened being so compassionate when no one is really bound or suffering? True, no one is bound or suffering. And yet, and yet, at a certain level, people are bound and are suffering. And that's the most obvious truth for all of us. So when an enlightened person realizes, I am Brahman, and, and then sees all of us, and we do not realize this. That's our truth. We do not realize it. An enlightened one sees it at our level and tries to help us at our level. But you are right. There could be an even deeper level where the enlightened one does not see any need to help us. <laughs> so Mahapurushma, Swami Shivananda, is a very interesting description. He was the president of our order in Belurmad, disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. He's the head of the entire monastic order. This is in the 1920s sometime. He's sitting there. And people are coming to bow down to him, monks and householder devotees um, in our main monastery in Calcutta, Belurmat. Uh, he starts bowing down to everybody. And people are discomfited by it. And so they are, say, Swami, please don't do that. We, we feel so embarrassed. We are here, we are bowing down to you. Don't bow, bow why are you bowing down to us, to, to all the, just the ordinary people who are coming? And he said, what can I do? When they come, I can't see them. I see the divine form of their Ishta Devata. So each person has a particular spiritual attitude in life. You know, you, you try to attain God in that particular way. And the Swami is seeing each person not as the person as we appear to each other, but as a form of God, as a God or a goddess, in a form of, as a divine form. And he says, I have to bow down to them. So then, then the divine form disappears and the human form emerges. Then only I can talk to them and teach them. Otherwise, I, ca I cannot. But yes, normally, the enlightened one sees our suffering and our unenlightened state. Thank God. If the enlightened ones were going to, uh, told us, don't worry, you're not suffering. You are Brahman. I can clearly see that. So go away. There's nothing to be done. Then it wouldn't be of much use to us. Uh, we need these teachings. Nivedita says, um, to understand why anything exists at all, someone said that consciousness has within it infinite possibilities and we exist so that this consciousness can experience all of its infinite possibilities. This can explain why two, no two manifestations are the same. Yes, that is one good explanation. In fact, the Upanishads support it. Kashmiri Shaivism supports it and says that consciousness alone, Eko Aham Bahusyam, I am one, I shall project myself as many. It is the infinite nature of that reality which seeks to continuously, without any limit, keep on expressing itself. So this expression is what we are. But luckily we are Brahman. We are grounded in that infinite nature. So we are safe. If we were only projected by that infinite nature into a little human form, I am only this little human being born on such and such date, fated to age and suffer and die, then it would be pretty miserable. <laughs> It might be great that an infinite being is enjoying itself and seeing all its manifestations. No, um, that, that is not much a relief for me. But it is a relief for me, for you, for everybody, because you are that infinite being right now. 
So, and when we realize that, we will see it is all right, that we are safe. And, uh, and then our lives will truly be free, will be joyous for the first time, effortlessly ethical also meant for everybody. You know, we'll be, we'll also be in a position to really help everybody. Good. So let me wrap it up today. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Sri Ram Krishna Parnamastu